0: You're listening to the Center for Auto Safety podcast with Executive Director Michael Brooks, Chief Engineer Fred Perkins, and hosted by Anthony Simino. For over 50 years, the Center for Auto Safety has been working to make cars safer. Find out more at autosafety.org.
1: Yeah, technology's silly. Um, hey, listeners. Welcome to another episode of the Silly Technology Podcast. no. No. Good morning. (laughs) I like how you're very good morning. You know, we don't know when people are listening to this. It could be 3 a.m. Somebody's like, I can't go to sleep. I need the dulcet tones of Fred Perkins to put. Not my problem if they're (laughs) listening to this late at night. Okay, fair enough. So this week, listeners, we're going to cover a bunch of news. We don't have any guests this week, but we've got a bunch of news we're going to catch up on uh so first thing i'm going to jump into is the guardian had an article about amazon has a self driving fleet in california they're testing now this is a bunch of cars that don't have steering wheels but they have humans inside them shuttled around like prime packages um and so my question as as i've looked at these vehicles they're made by a company called zooks they look like an old Westphalia that, as far as I could tell, would not survive a five mile per hour crash to a into a wall. How are these things
2: on the road? Take it away. Well, they they they're self-certified to meet Federal Motor Vehicle Safety Standards, which means that Zooks has basically put a stamp on the vehicle saying that we meet all of the 100, 200, 300 series of federal motor vehicle safety standards. Um, how they did that without the steering wheel and brake pedals and such is is an interesting part of that that we haven't really looked deeply into yet, but that's certainly something that's interesting. Um, Wait, but no also- well, if you don't have a steering wheel, or you know, or, or human operating the vehicle actively, it's you know, what do you need a brake pedal for, Anthony? I'm panic. That's why I want I want the old school pull up yank emergency brake. Well, I don't know. Maybe they have a button or something like that at emergency. We're not. We, we, you know, the, the articles haven't specified that. Maybe you should ride in one and see what. <laughs> you got any trips to San Francisco coming up? <laughs> You'd have to actually work for Zooks or Amazon to do that. So, And
1: I would have to fit in a cardboard box.
2: It looks like they're shuttling around their workers from between campuses or something, but they're not taking passengers on the way that uh, GM is currently doing in San Francisco and Waymo is doing in Arizona. So do these Amazon
1: Zooks employees, do they get hazard pay for riding in these cars?
0: Well, I don't know. You know, a lot of the tech companies right now are trying to reduce the headcount and maybe, you know, maybe this is part of that program.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, I guess this is one way. Yeah. <laughs> uh, speaking of silly tech companies that are pretending to be auto companies, uh, Tesla, um, we all, you know, we've all been saving up our pennies to pay an extra fifteen thousand dollars. To get beta software on our cars uh, and pretend they drive themselves. Well, uh, Elon Musk has been saying for years, since at least 2016, that, hey, these cars will drive themselves. It's coming next year. No, it's coming next year. No, it's coming next year. Now it's 2023. And he's saying, "Uh, no, we're going to come up with a new hardware version. Uh, and so if you paid me $15,000, thanks, but the car won't drive itself. And no, there's no way for me to put this new hardware version in your old car. Um, but I didn't lie because my cars drive themselves and they're safer than humans. Don't look behind the curtain.
2: Well, I mean, look, I think anyone could have told uh, Tesla in 2012 or whenever they started putting these cars that aren't now going to be robo taxis on the road um they could have told them that retrofitting vehicles with technology is incredibly expensive and if you don't get every all the hardware you actually need into that original batch of cars they're never going to um achieve the promises that you've made to your customers so (laughs) it's you know that's something that auto manufacturers have known for 40 years unfortunately tesla doesn't have the experience that other auto manufacturers have in that area and so it looks like they thought they were going to be able to <clears throat> put new hardware to these vehicles as they grew and now they're finally coming to the realization that that's far too expensive and that they're just going to leave customers who bought these supposedly Fully self-driving capable vehicles—they're going to be left in the lurch.
1: Yeah, it's uh, absolutely surprising to me that um, this sounds more like less of a safety issue and more of a fraud issue.
2: Well, I mean that's that's a theory that's been tried out in the courts unsuccessfully so far. But uh, to me, it's you know it looks like a basic fraud plan: sell vaporware to customers for thousands of dollars and then never give it to them. Mm.
1: Okay. <laughs> uh, continuing the thread of uh, electric cars with silly features. You guys ever hear of uh, something called the GMC Hummer?
2: They're not you mean, the, you know, <laughs> is I was a, thinking is about a singing about?
0: group in Detroit or something, <laughs> something about Motown. It could have been.
2: So what would you, what would you guys say if I came up to you and said, you know, Let's build an electric SUV that weighs just under 10,000 pounds, give it a button that generates a 1,000 horsepower and lets it go zero to 60 in three seconds, and then market it to the most attention-starved, self-concerned people on our roads. Uh, And then you tell them that they can only use that button on a closed course. What do you think is going to happen?
1: Can I get it with flame decals on the side? yeah okay well then i i think it's
0: an amazing idea um you know a thousand horsepower is a lot uh to put it in <laughs> perspective oil tankers on the open ocean are generally around a thousand horsepower this is this is uh you know this is a, a, an awful lot of power uh, and to put all that power into getting back and forth to the piggly wiggly to get your french fries it, it, it's kind of an interesting prospect.
1: So, so that what is this? The best part like, about it. it really, go ahead. No, no, this this button. I want to hear more about this button. Like, is this, it an actual button that I can press?
2: It is an actual button, and not only that, it's called the WTF button, or it it triggers WTF mode, which for um children since there may be children listening i won't go into exactly what that means but i think we all know um and you know it stands for what is it it's this really Watts to freedom. It's this, oh. <laughs> it is the dumbest name I've heard in a while Watts to freedom. So technically they're saying that, you know, a button that allows you to accelerate recklessly anywhere you want, endangering other road users is somehow freedom. Um, you know, I thought that other people's freedom ended where mine began, but maybe I'm wrong, been wrong this whole time. Um, the tires and, you know, and They're well. putting it in a, what are the tires in this thing? Like, I mean, because
1: you're moving that like 9000 pounds at such a fast rate. Like, does the road literally rip up behind you as you as you hit this button?
2: I don't. I, I'm sure the, the you know, it's only supposed to be used in a closed cor- course, Anthony. Oh. So nobody's going to be using this out on roads because, you know, GMC said, you know, They're doing exactly what Tesla's doing. You know, they're selling technology that's dangerous and then putting the responsibility on the driver to decide when to use it when, you know, what we think Tesla should be doing, and what GM is actually doing with some of their other technology, like the Super Cruise, is it's geofenced. You can only use it when you're on a divided access highway or or on interstate or that type of road. In this case, they're putting technology into these Hummers that is clearly dangerous. I mean, this their web page on this is already probably been stamped and filed away by lawyers who are saving it as an exhibit. Because it's it, it, it's it clearly recognizes that the technology is dangerous, probably shouldn't be used anywhere but a close course. And then just putting it on a big button in the car for any teenager to hit when he hops in there. Um, it, I, I think it's very, very reckless, bad marketing. And it's, you know, the Hummer EV is just an awful concept.
1: So, Fred, you have one on order. You've put your deposit down
0: you know i'm more a uh 10 horsepower to the piggly wiggly kind of guy you know i i just you know i don't know what i would do with a thousand horsepower and i can guarantee you that anybody who puts the pedal down and actually generates anything like 500 or a thousand horsepower is going to have a big laundry bill associated with cleaning their underwear this is you know (laughs) This will be a, a really dramatic event, a one time event in people's lives. And you know, that's, it's funny that that's the way they sell cars with horsepower, right? But the, the, the difference between a car and a truck is a duty cycle. So a truck might use 250 horsepower, but they do it for hours at a time, days at a time. A car that advertises 500 horsepower or a thousand horsepower might be able to do that for a minute before the engine falls apart there's no duration associated with that so i i feel badly for the people who are going to buy it in good faith thinking that this is something that's going to last because if they actually do use that kind of horsepower they'll be ripping that vehicle to shreds as well as themselves and whatever pedestrians are nearby
1: okay so what is it like a a typical sedan how much horsepower is in that like my little corolla what what is that
0: a horse you might have hundred horsepower or something like that. But when you go back and forth to the piggly wiggly, you're talking about using ten horsepower, ten, fifteen horsepower to you know, to just get down the road. When you're on the highway going along 70 miles an hour, you might be using twenty five, thirty, maybe, maybe fifty horsepower. Yeah. This this excess horsepower is simply there for thrilling people when they want to accelerate. It's and every other time uh They use it. It's just extra weight. Mm. That's how that's how hybrid cars work. By the way, they have a very small engine, but it's a little bit. It produces a little bit more power than they need to cruise. So that extra power goes to charge the batteries, and the batteries step in when they do need to accelerate. That's why they can be lighter and more efficient than in a comparable gasoline engine car. It's just because the engine's smaller, the weight is less. Hmm. I
1: know my car, there is an, uh, a highway entrance here where you actually have to go from a stop sign to highway speeds as quickly as possible because some people won't let you in. And I mean, you know, you slam that pedal down and I get up to like 50 miles per hour and I don't know how maybe it's 10 seconds, eight seconds. It feels pretty quick in that car. I, I couldn't imagine yeah. a, a thousand horsepower mm-hmm. what I would do
0: with that. I'd gain weight. Well, the other thing about a 1,000 horsepower is you're going to spin your tires. And when you spin your tires, gyroscopic forces are going to cause your car to spin about its axis. So I, I don't know if you've ever had this experience of being on a snowy highway and hitting the gas and the tires spin, and all of a sudden the car starts to spin out of control, right? That's what's going to happen with these on any kind of wet surface, Maybe on a dry surface, but certainly any kind of slippery surface. If somebody tries to hit the gas or hit the pedal, use that power, the vehicle is going to spin about its vertical axis. And, uh, you know, it's going to point somewhere where the driver doesn't really want to go. So, listeners,
1: if you have a so. spare
0: $110,000
1: and you want to spin somewhere you don't know where to go, Get this, or better yet, go to autosafety.org and click the donate button. We don't need a hundred. If you want to give one hundred and ten thousand dollars, that that'd be great. But you know, a $1, thousand dollars, a hundred dollars, ten dollars, that would be good too. And if you'd like, we can meet you in person. And I will spin you around in a circle briefly um, for any donation amount uh, less than a thousand horsepower. As a uh, petite-sized human male, I could probably do a quarter horsepower. So. Might be too much information. Sorry.
0: <laughs> Good morning, America. It's certainly a, it's certainly an attractive concept. I like that.
1: Yeah, I, I take it back. Never mind. I'm not gonna do this. I already realize what's gonna come in. Uh okay, let's uh the New York Times this morning had this great article from uh that was featuring Dr. Missy Cummings. And she uh not only being one of the first female fighter pilots, was and I correct me if I get this wrong, she was an administrator at NHTSA. Or was the NTSB?
2: It was at NHTSA, she was brought in um about I think it was a little over a year ago to um advise them on some of the more advanced technology issues that they're they're facing with you know autonomous vehicles and some of the uh advanced driver assistance, crash avoidance, that type of technology.
1: Yeah. So the article goes into her feelings on um a lot of things that we've talked about in the past, like um Uh, ADAS and um, lane centering and kind of not full autonomous vehicles. Um, But what she pointed out in there is saying she's felt compelled to speak out because the technology is being abused by humans, which I thought was an amazing way to put it. And we've talked about this before. where People think my car can drive itself because the technology is being advertised that way or, you know, hey, it centered itself in the lane. I can go to sleep. So and she follows up in this article saying we need to put in regulations that deal with this, which I thought was amazing because we never see that anywhere except on this podcast, which you're subscribing to and clicking five stars on right now.
2: So, um, you know, the thing that really stuck out to me and and some of the the data that Missy reported is that. I think she's looking at the standing general order data and, and to figure out, you know, the speeds those vehicles are traveling at and some of the crashes we've seen with the ADAS. Um, and what stood out was that the, um, vehicles are that are getting into crashes are exceed are being programmed to exceed the speed limit they're not you know they're not being operated by the human at the time of these crashes they are in um the adaptive cruise or whatever mode that 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 those vehicles are in and they're being programmed to speed and that's that's a kind of a big issue i mean you're functionally allowing people and, and cruise control is kind of like this you can set your cruise control to 75 miles per hour and a 60 um but this is you know manufacturers actively putting in software into a vehicle that allows the machines to break the law which seems very complicated to us
1: i think this might be a good segue into um this week's of fred um are we ready for it i can see he's, he's geared up ready to go he's stretching so uh, this week we're going to expand fred's going to expand on something we've touched on briefly last week with the uh, with the former with the current uh, police chief and something we're all very passionate about which is uh, kind of a do no harm standard for automated vehicles so take
0: it away you've now entered the Dow of Fred thank you well, one of the observations I've made over the last couple of years working in this industry is that a fundamental problem associated with AV development is that there is no set of requirements that the AVs need to adhere to when they're being developed and put on the road or, you know, put in the face of traffic, um, jeopardizing people. So we have, in our generous spirit, done a the industry a big favor, which is to put together what we believe is a minimum set of requirements to allow AVs to be safely introduced into commerce and into, in fact, into tests on public highways. Um, This is a gap that nobody else seems to want to fill. So we have put together what we call a provisional AV Bill of Rights. Now, this is a, a, a set of simple standards to which we believe AVs should conform before they are put into commerce or before they jeopardize the public. Um, uh, there's a lot here. I'm just going to go through them quickly, the whole list, and then we'll come back to the, the fundamental, uh, requirement, which is the first one. So these are written as requirements because engineers like requirements. They, they tell the engineers what to do. For example, uh, A requirement might be a vehicle shall have four wheels. That's why you see a lot of vehicles with four wheels, because there's a requirement to have four wheels. So this set of requirements is associated with AV-specific features. And uh, we'll just go through them right now. Uh, The first one is AVs shall not increase the risk of injury or death inside or outside of an AV. Essentially, They should do no harm before they're allowed into commerce. They should be shown to prove to do no harm. Now, this is not the objective for AVs. This is just the bare minimum standard that they should be able to demonstrate before they're brought into commerce, that they do no harm. Next, AVs shall secure, verify, and authenticate operational commands and external communications. You don't want anybody breaking into your car. You don't want anybody disturbing the directions you've given to the car. If you want to go to work, you don't want somebody else jumping in and saying, no, let's go to the beach instead. Uh, AVs shall not prejudice for or against any group of living persons with respect to any other group. AVs must respond appropriately to emergency vehicle lights, audible signals, and manual directions from police officers and Good Samaritans without endangering either those third parties or vehicle occupants. AVs shall not be programmed to violate motor vehicle laws. AVs shall expedite first responder safety and safe recovery of persons injured or killed after a crash, including providing means to readily render vehicles safe for first responders second responders, and bystanders. AVs shall safely transition between political boundaries without increasing risk of injury or death. AVs shall automatically, during safety inspections, confirm the validity of installed software and firmware versions for that vehicle, and assess and report nominal capability and or failures of safety and life-critical features that are not visually verifiable. AVs shall include a foolproof capability to expedite safe egress on demand of its occupants. AVs shall not sell or distribute personally identifiable information of any person to any third parties without their explicit consent. AV manufacturers, their agents, representatives, and dealers shall assume legal responsibility and liability for safe AV operation. In no case shall a vehicle occupant who is not actively driving an AV be held responsible for the actions or consequences of its automated controls. AVs shall collect and report operational data to support research and development to improve safety, performance, and reliability. Finally, AVs shall not increase the transportation sector environmental burden over their design lifetime. Now, now this is a lot. That's what I was this, saying. So, yeah, yeah, it is a lot. Uh, and we're going to cover these in more detail over time. Today, we'll just talk about the first of those, which is the AVs shall not increase risk of injury or death outside of an AV. This is kind of a global standard. Um it, so where does that come from? Basically, the um, NHTSA, National Highway Transportation Safety Administration, in 2017 published a report which established that, um, let's see, with respect to fatal crashes, a vehicle fault as a critical factor in those fatal crashes only occurs 4% of the time.
1: So what, what, is that, um, what does that mean as a, as a critical
0: fault? Well, we talked about this uh, last week. A critical fault, or critical factor—not fault. Critical factor is uh, a contributing factor to a crash. It's not the cause of a crash, but it's a contributing factor.
1: So it's not me, so, driver swerving. It's something fundamental, fundamental to the vehicle's design.
0: Well, and this, and this what this showed is that the critical factors associated with the actual vehicle itself and faults associated with the vehicle, uh, only happens once every two and a half billion miles driven. Billion? So, a billion. Once in every two and a half billion miles. So, if you assume the vehicle is traveling at 35 miles per hour, that means that once every 70 million million hours driven is is associated with a vehicle critical fault, that could be associated or a critical factor again. That could be associated with a a death. Now that's for all causes from a vehicle. So you have to apportion that between the AV specific features like data processing, sensors, object event detection and response. All of these different factors that go into the overall AV operations. So I just assume for the moment, for talking purposes, that half of the allocation of that risk is associated with the AV-specific components. And if you do that, you come up with a a rough number of about one out of every 150 million hours of operation can be the minimum standard for the AV-specific factors, critical factors in a fatal crash. Again, this is not the cause but it does set a standard for for understanding what the digital section performance has got to be for the vehicle in order to not degrade overall highway safety. So it's a it's a number that we're helpfully supplying to the industry as the target for how their software and how their data processing system has got to work. Dear industry, you're welcome. Yes, you're welcome. I'm, I'm sure they'll be very happy to have that. <laughs> but that ties into you know what it means to say do no harm okay if you if you do no harm you've got to have at least the same safety profile as common components with conventional cars that are already out there and that's just once per 150 million hours of operation for a critical factor fault that's associated with the av specific features um and that's just the bare minimum okay no so there are corollaries that come from that. For example, if AVs will not increase the risk of injury or death, then no vehicle design may be deployed that increases the frequency of crashes or the likely magnitude of property damage due to crashes or fire. Uh, no vehicle design may be deployed that increases the probability of injury or death to vehicle occupants, all the motorists or the vehicles structures that might contain the av for example uh, a garage that might go up in flames if the battery fails because a lot of these uh avs will be electrically powered um uh, they must preserve the go so ahead as
1: a from an engineering perspective i want to i'm curious cuz okay, we've we've discussed waymo and and uh cruise and They clearly don't meet this first guideline, I mean, because they've stopped and blocked traffic, they can potentially have all those problems. So I'm asking you as an engineer, how do you manage to build something without real world testing and to, to get over this?
0: Well that's the easiest thing in the world to do ah. to to build something without testing.
1: Well, well uh, the well, hard part, <laughs> sorry, not to build without testing. I do that every day. But how do you how do you build it with with real testing that I can come to you and say, "Hey, I'm confident that this performs at this minimum amount that you're requesting."
0: Well, uh, the first step in that is to have a requirement, right? So if you're developing the AV without a set of requirements, except for whatever pops into your head, you can say, well, you know, that's fine. It's good. My boss told me that it has to be green. It's green. I'm good to go. Um, That's why we're developing these independent standards to say uh, what what numbers that pops into your head and the voices in your head are good and fine. But there are other voices that should be listened to, uh, particularly from a consumer perspective to guarantee or to the best extent possible that what you're doing won't harm the public right so that's that's where these are coming from yeah
1: no i get where it's coming from but how do i prove that to you without like doing what gm and and uber do right now like i'm going to prove it to you i mean they have let's pretend they have a standard how do they prove it to me with letting these vehicles without first letting these vehicles run rampant through Arizona.
0: Well, in a perfect world, what you do, what you would do is probably run a lot of simulations to find out what are the really hard parts of this traffic problem. Um, Things that pop out tend to be like unprotected left turns across a multi-lane highway. It's a very, very difficult thing to do. So what, you know, understanding where these critical events can occur you would then say, okay, what we need to do is set up a test process so that we can validate these models that we've got. So you would then bring your car to a track. You would set up you know, an unprotected left turn across multiple lanes of traffic, and you would run the car with a supervisory driver and test driver so that everybody's aware of what's going on. And you put it through its paces in this difficult traffic circumstance until you've got things worked out so that it actually works as expected, and has the kind of has the kind of uh robustness that is needed to assure public safety. Uh we don't seem to live in a perfect world because people are just throwing this stuff out there and seeing you know throwing it against the wall and seeing if things stick. But, auto- but that that's a typical process. Automakers they already have these test tracks, right? I mean they have
1: because we see all the commercials like I think Audi's the one was like and here on no our test track in Nuremberg. So they already have these facilities it just Setting them up to try,
0: like, you know, unprotected left turns and, and for AV. Right. There are lots of, there are lots of test tracks. There are all over the country and all over the world. And they can be set up to simulate these very difficult traffic situations. But what has to happen first is you got to have a requirement that says, this is what you need to do. And then people have got to spend their own resources to identify what these critical traffic circumstances are and then actually do the test to see if it works. Okay, that's that's called validating the process. You've got a requirement, you've got a design, then you test the design in the context of real operations to validate that you can in fact support this design requirement. So there's no need to
1: right now to be like, hey, we don't have any requirements. We don't know exactly what we're doing. Hello, Phoenix. Like, let's just put these cars out. there. they could, they could come up to these their these own regulations or these things that we're proposing and set all of this up away from the public, using us as test dummies, uh, you know, unwitting test dummies, and set all this up on test tracks. So there's ways to where they can get real world data and test all this stuff without causing potential harm to the public.
0: They'll never be able to anticipate everything that can yeah. happen. But they can identify critical factors in critical situations and then test their way through it to make sure that they're able to support those actions. We already know of several situations that have caused fatalities of cars that are being driven under their own control. Right. And OK. Things like, you know, Mountain View accident where the vehicle didn't recognize the gore on the highway, the multiple accidents multiple collisions where people uh, vehicles ran into tractor trailers that were trying to cross the highway in front of them we already know what a lot of these situations are and as the experience develops we'll run into more and more of these situations but again the standard that should be in place is let's do the let's figure out what the hard stuff is let's design and test for this hard stuff instead of just throwing things out on the highway and saying, well, we'll just run it, you know, we'll just drive along happily as can be until something bad happens and then we'll dissolve the <laughs> dissolve the business and sell it to somebody else, which is the business approach that we've seen so far.
1: So there's that, that, the argument they make that like, you know, hey, we need to test in your town, your city, everything like that. We need this data. It's not true. There's uh, they they're they're jumping four steps ahead before you know they're learning to fly before they've learned to crawl essentially. <laughs> uh
0: well, that's typical crate, no. engineering approach. Is is crawl walk run right? Right, but this um, seems more like <clears> throat> fly.
1: Throat> cur- you know, and everything else didn't happen.
0: Well, there's another sequence called ready aim fire. <laughs> okay but you can turn that into ready fire aim <laughs> which seems to be the approach that's being taken now right okay um that's generally a less safe approach okay i
1: yeah i i think i think this would be great if we can get some uh some input from i mean we won't but from av people or former av people you can just contact us anonymously and be like you know i tried to do this internally it didn't happen now i work at your local coffee shop or you know, or now I work for a space. Sure. Yeah.
0: Well, I want to emphasize that these these uh, Bill of Rights that we just talked about is just from the voices in our own heads. And we'd be more than happy to listen to people in the community who want to offer their own opinions about, you know, how these can be improved so that they can actually stand up as an industry standard for the safety and the consumer protection uh, as avs develop
1: i i love it i love it the 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 fact that we're pushing this out there i think it's really good to put this marker out there for people and say uh you know really put i mean it's putting protection for consumers and putting a challenge to the av makers be like hey this is the standard we say tell us why we're wrong or tell us why we're right or just keep hiding and with your gm
0: crews that just gave up So a couple more bullet points under AV shall not increase risk of injury or death. Okay, AVs must include automatic fallback to a safe state in the event of mechanical failure, software or data processing failure or fault, inability to safely continue based on object event detection and response processing failure, or other consequential operational problem, or on occupant demand. Uh, none of these are currently a uh, standard, but we, you know, these are just common sense items that are needed to protect the public and, of course, the occupants who might be in one of these vehicles. I'd love to know how Zooks has done this for the Amazon employees that they're traveling around.
1: Uh, yeah, that's the, the question um, I had is, is, do I have a, why is there no break? <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Or how do how, you know? How do I stop this thing? How do I get out of here safely? Yeah, the New York City subway well, system—they still have like an emergency brake pull, which is insane. Yeah. But I, hey, I I get it. Maybe actually, I'm not really sure why that makes sense at all. Let's be
0: honest. Well, I think they may have one in Zook's vehicle. I'm not sure, but Zook's is not required to put it in. Shameful. Um. And and you know, uh, there are requirements for. All vehicles that are engaged in transport of the public right buses have standards you have to have windows that you can kick out their school buses have emergency exits Um trains have lots of features why aren't these automated vehicles that are carrying people required to have similar kind of safety mechanisms in it it's 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 mysterious so again I'm sure the industry will thank us for bringing this forward. But over the next few weeks, we'll be going through these items in more detail. We welcome comments from our listeners. We also welcome comments from people who are not our listeners. <laughs> and, uh, you know, <laughs> if we can get more listeners, that would even be great. But but please, you know, contact us. We'll be happy to send you a copy of these provisional uh, bullet points. This provisional bill of rights, yeah, you know, and bullet points. And uh, we, we'd like to get this conversation going. We don't think that we can expect this out of the government, our friends in the government for a long time. They tend not to do this and tend to be very reactive. But uh, the way the industry is evolving and the way that new vehicles with new capabilities are being brought forth, uh, we need to do something. We need to, we need to have a reference point that industry can use to safely develop this technology. And that's what we're trying to do.
1: I look forward to JD Power & Associates giving us an award. I mean, they'll have to create a whole new category, but damn it, I think we're worth it. I'm all for it. <laughs> okay, good. Uh, speaking of AVs, there was a, um, what was this? this, was out of MIT, a report on AV efficiency. And I've got some questions around this. Now, their study, the folks at MIT, pretty smart people, um, were talking about that the commuting, they, the, oh, I got to get it up and come on, where'd it go? There's so many. Okay. So that the widespread adoption of self driving cars will create a major bump in carbon emissions. Without changes to the design, um, basically it's saying that the the AV cars using these neural networks and these computer processing taking in so much amount of data right now using current data centers would generate so much CO two it would be really bad for the planet. So I've got a a couple of questions around this. One are do they make the assumption that automated vehicles are always connected to a network of some sort because I, I thought all of these features, like I don't think my, I mean, it's not an automated vehicle, but lane centering and and ADAS and emergency braking, it's all self contained in the car. I thought all of this would be self contained. Is that? I,
2: I I doubt that everything is going to be self contained in in the in the future self driving cars simply because it's. I mean, the systems required to safely run those things seem to be incredibly complex and something that's going to have to you know, involve some operating ability from outside of the vehicle back, back at the home base. I mean, we already see remote operators and that type of thing. But if you think about the kind of, you know, for instance, if you think about the data these vehicles are going to be storing that's that needs to be used to make them better, more reliable and safer, that's going to have to be continuously transmitted um, or or I would assume continuously transmitted back to the cloud for the developers to work with and that type of thing. So, you know, this reminded me of the, uh, like the Bitcoin uh, cyber cyber, money thing where they're there's they're using server farms to do these blockchain things i'm not smart enough to understand any of that stuff but it uh it it, that was the that was a drawback of that technology or that movement is that it it wasn't environmentally friendly money um and here we're seeing you know non-environmentally friendly uh outcomes from computers and cars and not the emissions from the vehicles themselves so it takes a certain amount of
0: electrical energy to make a digital decision right because it's electrical and and something has to happen you got to flip a bit from one point to another so i i haven't read the study i read the report that, uh, that was published but i think that the answer is that the software is incredibly complicated and it has to run very quickly. You've got several hundred million, hundred million, several hundred million lines of code in the car's computer that's processing all of this visual information, the cameras, the environmental information, all those inputs. It has to do it over and over and over again. It has to do it very quickly, it has to do it very accurately. That takes a lot of power. That's not something that's going to run on your iPhone okay so i think what they were looking at is the aggregate amount of power based upon the projections of computing capability that is required to run that system in a fleet of cars that could extend to tens or hundreds of millions of vehicles it's it's like taking a data center and proliferating that by a factor of millions and uh so the moving data from the car to a server farm somewhere like they do at at tesla that's certainly one factor but the other factor is that you're going to have a lot of capability in the car you got to be running these things all the time and uh, there's no way to avoid the energy requirements to just run all this all this uh, very sophisticated data all at the same time continuously I think that's where that's coming from.
1: Yeah, that's I, I think so too. And I think one of their big push takeaways was um, better, more energy efficient hardware, and you know, improving the electrical grid so it's not you know running off of uh, fossil fuels. Uh, but it was interesting. I couldn't tell if they're like, wait, it has to be connected all the time because I'm like, then you can't drive through Montana. You can't drive.
0: Well, you know, there's a, there's another way to approach this whole data processing, which is to use uh, an organic. Being that runs on, you know, food, for example, and has, (laughs) has built in sensors and built in judgment capability. Um, I, I think these organisms exist in the world and they, they do a pretty good job. Actually, they, they tend to run these vehicles with a crash frequency of the order of a hundred, you know, one every hundred million miles. So maybe that's an approach that, that would make sense to use these organic beings to, control the vehicles as an alternative to the computers oh,
1: my, sometimes my ankle gets tired pressing the gas pedal and like my you know the the, the torque like ah oh, it's so well,
0: it can be it can be a burden yeah <laughs> it can be a burden okay
1: onto to simpler uh computers and cars uh seat belt reminders uh so iihs the insurance institute for highway safety you guys didn't think i'd remember that one i got it Uh, says that Toyota Sienna seatbelt reminders stand out among minivans. Now, I've had a few issues lately with seatbelt reminders. I I love seatbelt reminders. I think it's great. But I've gotten into, like, Ubers, and, uh, you know, my wife and I will be in the back seat, but it's this large seat, and if she puts her bag or – it doesn't even have to weigh much at all in the center section. The seatbelt reminder will go, so we have to then struggle and kind of just, you know, there's no one sitting there and put the – belt latch into the thing so they seem a little too sensitive and actually now i think about it that was in a toyota sienna Hmm.
2: yeah toyota was the first i think the first manufacturer to put the uh seat belt reminder rear seat belt reminders into all their vehicles other manufacturers have lagged behind a lot and nitsa has been lagging on this regulation for many many years now and and it seems like a very simple um thing you know you're essentially taking the seat belt reminder tech from the front seat and moving it to the back um and it doesn't seem like it would be all that complicated to write a regulation around but we have seen very similar objections from the auto industry like what you say anthony which is you know people are putting bags and using the back seat for storage and these bells and whistles are going off and annoying them um and, you know i guess you know on one level my answer to them is sorry you know the, <laughs> these bells and whistles are going to make kids buckle their seat belts in the back and save a lot of lives so just deal with it um i just think they need a better sensor that's it yeah and that's, the, you know hours. i think that's part of it too you know why they don't want to put better sensors back there another nickel yeah so that, that's when it comes down to money right now um <clears throat> there's also a you know. The Hot Cars Act and the movement around that is is, and we'll talk about this in detail next week when Jeanette Fennell joins us from Kids and Cars. But there are sensors that can also that can not only detect, you know, whether you're storing a kid or a suitcase in your back seat and make that dis, make that distinction. There are sensors that can, you know, tell tell you wh- When you've left a human being in the backseat of your car before you park that car for the day, which would, you know, save 30 to 50 children per year, um, depending on the year in America. So that's an important issue and and a similar technology, both, you know, a a good a good rear seat. uh, Well. I'll put it this way the rear seat has been ignored for many years and we've talked about that before and you know we really are at a moment with you know as ride shares grown you know where a lot more people are riding in the back seat than they ever have and and you know rear seats don't have pretensioners on their seat belts and some other uh technology that makes sure your seat belts work properly that's already in the front seats um and and it's you know we're we're glad ihs is as taken up um some of the push for rear seat safety we've been pushing for for many years now um with seat back collapse issues and some other things um, but it's a it's a it's a very ignored area of the vehicle and and it needs to catch up and do a lot better to make sure that rear seat passengers are protected
1: yeah, the better sensors, I think, is a good idea because right now with someone being so sensitive, people will just latch it in and just ignore it, and just be like this is a burden. Um, I'm glad.
2: I yeah, don't... my dog sets off my front seat one, and she's about thirty pounds. So, Why isn't
1: she wearing a seatbelt?
2: Um, she's she hates getting in the car. If I put a seatbelt on her, it would it would probably prevent me from getting her to the vet.
1: You know, <laughs> that's, that's not dog safety. I mean, related in the, to back seats and seatbelts, I was once in a cab with a uh a well known uh let's call him a consumer advocate and uh and uh, he dug around looking for the seatbelt thing, couldn't find it. And I looked at him and he just went, ah, shrugged his shoulders. So Hey he was accepting <laughs> the risk at that moment. Exactly. I I got my seatbelt on.
2: I mean I assume it was a he.
1: <laughs> I, I uh, you know, I said I don't know if I revealed did a gender reveal on that one. Uh, And speaking of gender reveal parties, pickup trucks. Um, But let's see. In America, we love our pickup trucks. The best three best selling vehicles in America are pickup trucks. Yeah. Like, is everyone a contractor? Like, what's going on? Why why are uh, you know, there's a good. Survey out when they said it's eighty-seven percent of the time people are just using these to go to as Fred has mentioned the Piggly Wiggly. I have no idea what a Piggly <laughs> Wiggly is. I have some ideas in my head of what one could be, but it does not seem appropriate
2: for this podcast. It is a great grocery store, okay. Anthony. That's popular, popular in the South. Uh, and so yeah,
1: and basically using what you'd imagine a pickup truck for, um, like hauling materials, towing. That's rarely used like people are just wow why would you i don't understand <laughs> like why would you have all of this big space to like once you bought a piece of plywood or something and you didn't want to strap it to the roof of your car
2: well i mean it's, it goes back to the hummer issue and in other ways but you know i see pickups driven around all the time by people who are clearly Not interested in towing boats or hauling construction materials. And, you know, some of them just prefer a larger, bigger vehicle that they can see over traffic with. Some, a lot of people just like to look rugged and that type of, you know, it's the type of phenomenon that's driving the GM Hummer EV sales and that problem, you know, this, this image conscious, uh, Purchase of vehicles that people are making to, to kind of enhance who they are, uh, pickups play into that somewhat. Um, but you know, at the same time, they're also incredibly useful for a significant portion of our population and, you know, are a are, are requirement for many people in their, in their day to day work. Yeah, The thing that I think was interesting about the article, if you look at it, you look at the old (laughs) uh, Chevy or Fords from the 60s and 70s, and they are (laughs) very utilitarian vehicles with long beds intended to carry a lot of stuff. And then over the years, uh, you see the bed get a lot smaller, the passenger compartment get a lot bigger, rear seats, and now – they've become essentially in many cases family vehicles rather than work trucks so you know it's understandable why a significant portion of american men in particular might gravitate towards them after having a family so it's a problem it's a problem for fuel economy if we start putting you know electric batteries in these big trucks already and putting making them you know weigh in excess of seven thousand pounds plus we're going to see um problems on, on the roads and crashes due to that additional weight um you know this is one of those areas you know americans demand a lot of pickups whether or not we actually need them um and it's you know it creates it exacerbates the safety issues on our roads and you know it's it's reason why you know i think we need to better educate consumers about you know the capabilities of their vehicles and I wish we could push back on the whole image-conscious America who wants to buy a great vehicle to make themselves look great, but I don't think that's happening anytime soon.
1: Yeah, because I love that illustration, too, they had where the the truck beds keep getting smaller and smaller and smaller. I mean, eventually, they're going to just go away, and then what It'll just be an SUV. (laughs) Yeah, it's a minivan. I mean, like if you need a minivan, get a minivan.
2: Well, I mean, I guess if, you know, if you're a – 30 plus year old male with a family you know driving a minivan can be you know i drove one for a number of years and it didn't always make me feel greatly masculine but you know it also didn't want to make me spend seventy thousand dollars on a pickup truck so <laughs> this
1: might be for a different podcast but um what does make you feel greatly masculine masculine never mind let's move on Uh,
0: well for those people who aren't gifted with the uh the visuals that we've got michael is a very macho guy just wanted to let that out there but you know thinking about the pickup trucks they're they you know they combine um reduced visibility particularly in front of the car increased propensity to kill pedestrians more energy that is imparted into a crash uh, more weight, worse mileage. How could this be a problem? It sounds pretty good to me. And for the record, Piggly Wiggly invented the self-service supermarket, just so you know that the all of the shopping carts and all that sort of stuff, they were that's a Piggly Wiggly production.
1: I, I've asked you not to plug your other podcast. Fred discusses American ephemera. Um, but, hey, if you want to listen to that, people, go right ahead.
2: I I highly recommend the Piggly Wiggly in Daphne, Alabama.
1: What is happening to this podcast? Uh, We haven't done this in a couple weeks, but I think it's time for the recall roundup.
2: Strap in. Time for the recall roundup.
1: And this week we should start off with uh, the one that will never, ever go away: Takata Airbags. Honda has issued a do not drive warning uh, last week. It was February 3rd for certain 2001 to 2003 ha- Acura and Honda vehicles equipped with on repaired Takata Airba- Alpha driver side airbag inflators. Um, they have a 50 percent failure rate. We've you know, I, this podcast is soon going to be called the Fix Your Takata already. People Uh you know honda seems to be the one that keeps doing this reminders are they the laggard in that people never got these fixed more on honda and Acura's, Or are they just still the ones being vocal about it
2: so these are the um these are the alpha airbags which are the very first oldest batch of those takata inflators that's uh the most riskiest right now and you know I, I wasn't aware of the how risky they um, actually are, but Ann Carlson, who is the NITS administrator in that press release, gave that 50% number, which is astounding, frankly, and very scary. You know, there's 8,000 of these vehicles still out there that have not been fixed yet, and they have a 50% chance of rupturing, even in a minor crash, which is in- incredibly high. Um And it's, you know, we've been warning folks about this for weeks and months or years, it seems like now, but these bags are just particularly dangerous. They're getting more dangerous as they age. And, um,
0: I want to be clear. Honda, Honda
2: is not, let me just say Honda is not on the, um, uh back end of this they're not the slow manufacturer in fact reaching 99% completion rate in this segment of airbags is pretty remarkable and it's a number we've never seen before in a in a recall campaign um so honda has actually been on the forefront of these takata recalls as far as cons- consumer notification and recall completion
0: I want to be clear that that this discussion uh, inevitably uses euphemisms like rupture and failure. What we're talking about are essentially grenades that are exploding in the face of the drivers and will create shrapnel that can, as a minimum, disfigure you and, in the worst case, kill you. So this is is nothing to be trifled with, and it's actually a great thing that honda put out this do not drive warning because these these are very dangerous um it'll be the worst day of your life you're going to crash your car and the car is going to explode in front of you and injure or kill you don't do this folks get those cars fixed
1: yeah as we've mentioned numerous times this is a free fix please do it um, as best you can. Speaking of more airbag-related recalls, uh, Nissan has a potentially re- recalling over 400,000 light trucks, uh, where the uh, the emblem on the driver's side airbags, you know, where you see right on your on your steering wheel, uh, the emblem will shoot off when an airbag is deployed, and that will be a nice little projectile aiming at your face uh and have they issued a fix for this
2: no i mean it appeared they're still developing a fix when the only issue there was a, a an adhesive that didn't hold up over time um which is odd it seems like one of the easier fixes you could design um sticking an emblem back on the steering wheel but i say Everybody should just pull emblems off steering wheels, period. Why are we putting this junk on steering wheels when it might detach and be a projectile um, within vehicles? It's, you know, stupid marketing. I mean, you can mold steering wheel covers in the shape of a logo if you're really that desperate to advertise a vehicle that's already been purchased. So I, I, I just kind of, you know, I don't understand why we're adding emblems uh to vehicle steering wheels Uh, you know the advertising has probably gone a little too far at that point gotta have my logo everywhere
1: man gotta have my logo Uh,
2: gm has a recall of
1: uh let's let's see michael described it as gm stall due to fuel tank collapse uh which uh, sounds amazing to me this is 22,132 vehicles they are diesel trucks the RPO L5P oh wait no these are Chevy Silverados 2017 to yeah. 2019 with the dual fuel tank option uh this is for the diesel version of this so what what is a fuel tank
2: collapse yeah so one of the few, it's one of the fuel tanks it's the rear fuel tank in these vehicles and it, the collapse when you know when i first saw collapse you know you think of a fuel tank literally falling out of the car follow the structure of the fuel tank not being supported by the frame in this case it is a i guess a plastic um uh, tank that it's got a fuel pump that's pulling the fuel out and it's got another um basically area with a filter or something that's getting clogged with debris. So it's the vent for the tank. So what happens is the vent gets clogged and the fuel pump's continuing to pull. um, And what happens is the tank basically collapses in on itself. Um, And that doesn't, you know, it doesn't cause what we would typically think of in a fuel tank collapse or which would be damaged to to the tank allowing, you know, a greater risk of vehicle fire, that sort of thing. In this case, it causes the vehicles to stall because they're being starved of fuel because of the defect. So that was an interesting recall. It applies to a, you know, a lot of, uh, Silverados from 2017 to 2019, and also the GM Sierras. And stalling in the middle of the road is a dangerous condition, so we'd encourage everyone to get that one fixed as soon as possible.
1: So here's one that's a follow-up from something we've mentioned a number of times on the show. It's not a recall, but Hyundai-Kia. We've talked about how the TikTok kids have managed to hack those cars and steal them using basically a USB cable. Well, Hyundai-Kia has finally come up with a software fix for this. And I believe you can bring your affected cars to your dealership and they (laughs) will download the software for you. um, Or they'll take a bunch of glue and just jam it in a USB slot for you. Um, But I, and that again is a free recall, which is good because if you live in certain places, you no longer have car insurance on that
2: vehicle. Yeah. And we want to get that's, I think, I think that's what they're that warning from the insurers finally got Hyundai Kia to do um, after hearing from their owners that they have effectively designed a software that functions as an immobilizer. That's being retro uploaded. I don't know if you can call it retrofitted, but it's being popped into these vehicles so that it um, prevents them from being started without a key, which is the fundamental, uh, act i believe that allowed for the tiktok hack this is a lot better than the fix we talked about a couple months ago where they were provide where they were i think charging customers for a kit that was basically a club you put on your steering wheel so uh that you probably have the insurance companies to thank for that for putting a little more pressure on Hyundai and Kia thank you insurance companies uh
1: Volkswagen uh recalling 20904 2021 Volkswagen ID4s uh and this is a this is an interesting one where it says the uh, oh i just lost it the uh it's right in front of me i had the the english basically the battery management system will um okay the battery man, battery management control module resets while driving the vehicle's electric motor will not be supplied with power for the duration of the reset In rare cases, the pulse inverter may be deactivated while driving. Each of these conditions may lead to a loss of repulsion without pre-warning and may increase the risk of a crash. Um, The pulse inverter. So basically, the battery management system you're driving along, it says, wait a second, reboots itself. And then you no longer have power to the car.
2: I mean, that's basically what it sounds like, effectively a loss of power while driving, similar to what's happening with the collapsed fuel tanks and the GM trucks from a um, safety perspective. But from, you know, it's interesting here, you know, the battery management systems are something that we really think that NHTSA needs to put some rules into place around not only prevent, you know, issues like this, losses of power, but also to prevent um, battery fires, which we've discussed extensively. Um, and we're hopeful that, that's going to happen sooner rather than later. And it might help prevent some issues like this, where battery management systems are (laughs) being reset at at some really inappropriate times, like while the vehicle's driving.
1: Uh, And finally, we have one for all of you Porsche drivers. Uh, It's amazing, it's only 24,467 vehicles, but it's a lot of them, I'm not gonna read them all off. Basically, if you own a Porsche that was made in 2017, uh to 2018, it looks like. Oh, in 2019 and 2020. Basically, if you own a Porsche that was made in the last few years, get this checked out. And what this is, is on the affected vehicles, there's possibility of humidity ingress into the external coolant pump for the climate control system. This could cause a short circuit, and in some instances, thermal damage to the external coolant pump. Um Basically, vehicle fire. That's the short it's a short okay. uh <laughs>
2: yeah they don't uh, want to say it right no it's <laughs> hidden way down there uh so- yeah that, that was what was interesting to me about that recall is they're going to great lengths first of all they they, they changed the design or changed the part out in 2021 bentley is also part of this recalling it then you didn't know that because i know you need to check the vent on your bentley I do. um <laughs> they they they've replaced these parts years ago in their design and, and manufacture of the vehicle so they knew something was wrong there and then they've waited until now to both recall them um and then even then they're being very careful not to say oh this is going to cause a fire but it, it, it is i mean that's clearly the thermal event they're talking about and i'm wondering in this case because on the porsche uh report it says that you know the this portion of the vehicle can remain active you know 20 minutes and even more after the vehicle has been turned off so this fits exactly into the bucket of recalls that nitsa has been actively issuing uh do not park inside your garage do not park warnings that type of thing for the past year or so and i'm a little surprised that this course recall didn't didn't qualify for a do not park in- indoors r- warning hmm.
0: And uh, I think so. Should we send a Should we send a note to King Chuck that tells him to leave his Bentley outside of Westminster? Or or where does he live now? Windsor Castle. Where would they put it if he can't? If he can't keep it in the castle, what would he do?
2: You You know, I I think they've got some plenty of plenty of grounds and gardens at their manors that they can they can keep it on. So I'm not worried about I'm not worried about Chuck. (laughs) <laughs> or anyone with a Bentley, you know, go get it fixed when you get the recall notice in the mail, people. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and let's end on a uh, a happy, positive note. The Washington Post had a great article entitled States Love Jokes on Road Safety Signs. The Feds Aren't Laughing. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen these. You're driving down the road and they have warnings like uh, New Jersey. Uh, Slow down. This ain't Thunder Road. I think that's hilarious. Uh in Maine they have ones um such as the best on open gift, your airbag. You're not a pumpkin, don't drive smashed. Camp in the woods, not in the left lane. I I think these are great, but the feds are just like, no, this isn't that funny. They should all be very serious. Uh gentlemen, what 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 are our thoughts here?
0: Well, being a former Fed, I, you have to check in your uh your sense of humor when you take the oath of the office and now that i've retired i'm kind of recovering my sense of humor very gradually but it's it's a halting process but i'm working on it i'm working hard to become a normal human being again
2: okay do michael do you think you know, these help i don't i don't have any problem with a lot of them particularly the one telling people to get out of the left lane um but you know I, they're not particularly distracting i don't think there was any suggestion that they were dangerous Um, you know, there was also, you know, not a lot of suggestion that they actually work to reduce crashes and other things. So, you know, I think they're very useful for for providing drivers with information on uh, events ahead potential crashes objects in the road that type of thing they're very useful and you know maybe if they tell 20 bad jokes in a row you stop paying attention to the important messages so maybe that's what the feds were getting at i'm trying to defend them a little here but you know i i do think they're playing buzzkill in the situation okay
1: agree and i have to disagree about the whole object in the road ahead because I'll see those signs and then Google Maps will tell me caution there's an object in the road, Ed. One, they don't tell me how far ahead is and or what the object is. And I have yet to ever see any
2: object. But you know what? It keeps you paying attention. You know, if I had a sign like that set up, I would just say we are watching you because oh, then you no. would you, you would you would pay attention the rest of your drive. But it interrupts the movie I'm trying to watch on my phone while I'm texting.
0: Well, buzz kills and with that big brother michael big brother michael we like that (laughs) and with that
1: i think we've ended another uh hour of your life hopefully you've become informed uh hopefully you go to autosafety.org and you click donate become a monthly donor 10 bucks a month ain't nothing come on it's it's two mochaccino fragma latte things Nothing at all, but it makes a big difference for us. Uh, please uh, li- re-listen to the Tau today. Give us some feedback on the AV Bill of Rights. Yeah, these things are not widespread, but they're coming out on the road more and more. Get a- Join us. Get ahead of the curve. Get your voice heard, and we can actually make these things safer and better. Like, maybe we'll have a stop button inside these things. Anyway, thanks for your time, everybody. Bye-bye.
0: Thank you. Bye-bye, Bye, everybody. For more information, visit www.autosafety.org.